came up from the call. Psalm 71. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be my strong refuge to which I may resort continually. You have given the commandment to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man. For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. By you I have been upheld from birth. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of you. I have become as a wonder to many, but you are my strong refuge. Let my mouth be filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. For my enemies speak against me, and those who lie in wait for my life take counsel together, saying, God has forsaken him. Pursue him and take him, but there's none to deliver. O God, do not be far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. Let them be confounded and consumed who are adversaries of my life. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonour who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day, for I do not know their limits. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness, of yours only. Let's pray once more. Lord God, even in coming this evening in prayer, we put our trust in you and ask that we might not be put to shame. Lord, give us a sense of the truth and the beauty of your word. Impress upon our souls these mercies and blessings and a right response to them. Stir our hearts to sing your praise, O God. Show us, we ask, what pleases you. Help us to honour you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you've been away much over the the holiday period or if you are going away, the chances are you will meet other Christians in other places. What do you think of them and what might they think of you? Let me put a very specific question. Do you think after spending time with others of God's people or if uh, people were to come here for a few weeks, they would think of us as a praising people? that they would think of you as a praising person. If you go to another congregation, do you come away thinking, this is a people who are taken up with God. They love to honour him. They're excited because of his mercies. They sing his praises, if not always the most tunefully, at least with some kind of spiritual vigour and delight. Or does our speech tend to be seasoned with doubts and complaints rather than characterised by hope in and homage to our God. I think we've said before our skill at turning a blessing into a complaint is quite stunning. Suppose someone were to give you a car 
You say, well, that's grand, but really not used to an automatic. Brother, sister, somebody just gave you a car. Your computer dies and someone says, don't worry, I've got one for you. Yeah, somebody gave me a computer, but the software is not quite as uh, up to date as I'm used to. My friend, somebody just gave you a computer. A A blessing, but it's not just what I expected. A kindness from God, but it's not really what I'd asked for. David, a sinful man like us, is nevertheless a man who is characterised by praise. The question for David and for you is not, do you have an easy life? Not, do you have everything that you might have wanted or thought you wanted? Not even, do you have everything that you've calculated that you have needed? But are you a person who is characterised in proper measure by praise? And is that characteristic of us as the church, beloved of God, in Christ Jesus. Reading through Psalm 71 and thinking of of the man who writes these words, David, toward the end of his life, you see persistent praise as a holy habit flowing out of a heart taken up with our beloved God. Persistent praise is the holy habit of a heart that is taken up with our beloved God. David is in trouble in this psalm. He's an old and afflicted man, and he seeks the face of God. There's that core of the psalm. It's the the centre point of the psalm, verses 12 and 13. If you want to boil down David's response, it's here. Oh God, do not be far from me. You probably know what it's like to pray like that. Oh God, make haste to help me. You understand what it's like to feel that you're at a point of such desperate need that you you require the Lord's immediate assistance. Let them be confounded and consumed who are adversaries of my life. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonour who seek my hurt. Lord, I, I can't deal with them. They're too many. They're too strong. But you confound them. You bring down those who are attacking your beloved servant. Christ would have known this. David certainly expresses it in measure as a a pattern of the Lord. And then having come through that, uh, then we enter into the climb. Verse 14. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day, for I do not know their limits. I will hope continually, verse 14, and will praise you yet more and more. When earthly anchors fail, when earthly helps disappear, when foes and enemies may surround us, when trouble comes upon us, the believer praises still. In fact, brothers and sisters, the believer praises more because he or she hopes continually. Now, sometimes we, we casually use the phrase, don't we, countercultural. This is not countercultural, brothers and sisters. This is supernatural. This is something that belongs to the child of God who knows the God of his or her salvation. 
Let's seek then to understand something of, of where such a response comes from and how then God helping us, we also can cultivate it so that we might be characterised by hope in and therefore homage to our God, that we might be known, not as the people who've got an easy life, not as the people who overflow with blessings, but as the people who praise the God of our salvation. And I want you to understand, first of all, that praise has already been established. Praise has already been established. Not, I will hope continually, and then I will begin to praise you. But I will hope continually, and will praise you yet more and more. Now, my friends, this communicates to us, this impresses upon us that praise has been a holy habit in the life of David, the servant of God. This is not going to be the beginning of his practice. This is a practice long established. It is the advance of the habit of a lifetime. And if you think of David speaking this as an older man and you look back over the history of his life, you can trace out that habit of praise. And the question's got to be, can you trace it out in my life and in yours? Has this yet become a holy habit in me? And I say with grief and repenting shame that I do not think I have been a praiser of God in the way that I could and should have been. That this has not been the, the inclination and the disposition of my heart and the regular practice then from my heart in my lips. Perhaps it is more so of you. I pray it might be so. Brothers and sisters, it ought to be that the believer's life is marked by a habit of praise. Why? Where do we see it in David's and why should it be in our life? Because of divine glory is the first answer. Do you know God? Christian, you do. You might want to know him better and you should. But you know the God of heaven and of earth in all the matchless perfections of his eternity and infinity. You know a God who is holy, do you not? spotless, high and lifted up. Do you know a God who is faithful, whose words never fail, whose covenant promises have never fallen to the ground, whose every word has proved yes and amen in Christ Jesus our Lord? Do you know a God who is kind, full of compassion and tender mercies, who has dealt with you most graciously, who at your lowest point and through your hardest experience, has nevertheless been shepherding you and caring for you, who, if he was humbling you that he might bring you to himself, humbled you only so far as was needful to turn you out of yourself and toward Jesus Christ. And at every point, even when you have been tested, he has made a way of escape for you. When you would have fallen, he has held you up. When you were like a fragile wee lamb, the shepherd took you up in his arms. You've never truly been in danger. You've seen it and you've felt it, but he has never ceased to care for you in kindness. Has he been just? 
Have you seen his justice at times, especially as life has gone on, that some who have boasted and set themselves up against the church of Christ, they have been brought low, even in the things of time, let alone in God's eternal determinations. Has it been just with you? Yes, your salvation is established upon the justice of your God, for he cannot bring judgment twice upon your surety, Jesus Christ, and then again upon you. And the justice that might have damned you is your great claim and defence, that you can stand before heaven and earth and you can claim divine justice for your peace and protection. Christ has died for me. If God is to be just, then he must be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Trusting in him, I am as secure as I can be. And it is the righteousness of God most high that establishes my security. Is he true? Have his words ever failed? Have the promises which you have pleaded and upon which you have relied ever let you down? Is he good? Do you not see that, that mercy and that holiness flowing out towards you in acts of kindness? If you stopped just for a moment, even for the last day, and were to start writing down the goodnesses of God toward you, woke up. Well, that's number one. It's not even what happens next. Woke up. Breathing. Pain manageable. Food in cupboard, blanket on comfortable bed, choice of pillows, went to wardrobe, thought about clothes, selected from amongst great variety, chose a pair of shoes which I would wear today, had option as to which, some of you, I don't know, so maybe some of you figured out which watch strap was going to fit the rest of you, I don't know. But how good has God been toward us, even in temporals? let alone in spirituals, loving. Has God shown the glory of his loving heart toward you? You're not in hell, are you? Christian, you're in Christ, are you not? Because of his divine glory. And you can trace that. You, know, you, could, you can read through the Psalms. They're a transcript of David's heart. Yes, they're full of troubles and trials, but they're adorned with praises. God himself and his perfections calls forth David's praise. But it's very hard to talk about divine glory without sneaking in divine grace. Because God in himself, known in Christ Jesus toward us. His righteousness and his salvation is what David is going to tell with his mouth all the day. This is God in all that he is dealing in mercy and favour with us as his chosen people. Has he delivered you from your sins? Has he overcome your enemies? Have you sunk again into the patterns of iniquity that were characteristic of you before you were converted? Where would you be if for one moment God took away his restraining hand upon your heart? You would drop in a moment into the worst of vileness and foulness. Brothers and sisters, I cannot trust my heart ungoverned by the Holy Spirit for a second. 
God has never left me or forsaken me, neither has he you. And it is why we are sitting here this evening speaking about the praise of the Almighty. He has brought down our enemies. He has bestowed those temporal goods more than you can begin to number. Every breath that you've drawn, every mouthful that you've eaten, every stitch that you've worn, every pound that you've earned, every, everything that you are and everything that you have, and how much more because you are in Christ Jesus. He's lifted you up out of the ash heap. He's seated you with princes. He's taken you from death and he's given you life everlasting. He's made you to sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's given you an inheritance with the saints in the light. You are an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You are God's own heritage. You are his chosen people. You are his special treasure. How often you have sinned. When did he abandon you? When did he say, well, you're just not up to scratch. I'm ditching you. How often you have been forgiven. You've gone back to the God of salvation, the God who forgives again and again and again, often with the very same sin. Lord, I've stumbled again. This way of thinking, this way of feeling, this way of speaking, this way of acting. And I've pleaded and I've said that I will not go this way again. And here I am, oh God. Perhaps you've said, will you have mercy? Yes. Yes, I've put away your sin once more. David knows that. You and I know that. Always forgiven. God has never ceased to make flow toward us the overflowing and ever-flowing fountain of the blood of his beloved Son. You have always had an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The fountain opened for sin and uncleanness has never ceased to make you clean, to wash you pure and white as snow from the darkness and the misery of your sins. Don't you have reasons for the practice of praise? Shouldn't we be a praising people? We should do it in our speech, should we not? Shouldn't this be a little bit more normal amongst us? Especially amongst us. We often say, don't we? I'm going to struggle to tell people who don't know God about God if I don't tell people who do know God about God. If it's not normal for us to testify of these goodnesses, to record the mercies of the Lord. David is a man who has talked of God to his friends and to his enemies. You see how often in the Psalms he says, come with me, let us praise together. I'm going to teach you the fear of God. I'm going to show you what praise sounds like. I'm going to lead the van. He bears testimony in his words to the things that God has done for him and the things that God is in himself to him. We praise in speech, we praise in service. Do you work for God? Not because you have to, not because someone's looking, not because it earns you some kind of religious brownie points. Do you do it because God having saved you, he being yours, you are now his. Brothers and sisters, we're living sacrifices. That means that I can, not that I have to, but I can render homage to my God in the simplest, in the lowest in the least of the things that men esteem, if they are done for the honour of his name. A little strength, but his. A little understanding, 
but his. A little opportunity, but his. Not much to give, but all his. Two mites, he can have them. Two minutes, they belong to him. We honour the Lord in the deeds that we do, especially when we're doing them deliberately and consciously. Offering these things to the Lord. That's not some kind of pious sign of the cross before we accomplish anything, looking over our shoulder to see whether or not someone's noticed that we're doing it. But when we're serving God willingly and cheerfully, this is my opportunity. And I, wouldn't it be lovely if there was a queue of people lining up every time there was a job to be done? Now, there's probably not going to be always in a congregation of this size, because as a, a body well balanced, there were some who were good at this and some who were good at that. But isn't it a good principle that when there's an opportunity, we could be asking, Lord, maybe that's my opportunity to serve. And if that's not, I'll find another one. And what I can do, I will do, willingly and cheerfully. Sometimes we say, never say I can only pray. You can pray. You can go to the God of heaven and earth. You can go to your Father who is in heaven. And you can ask him for good things on your behalf and on behalf of the whole church, your brothers and your sisters. And you can praise him in song. Do you sing in private worship? Do you sing in family worship? We sing in public worship. Now, not all of us are, are cracking singers. Some of us are non-cracking singers. <laughs> you know, even together this morning, we, we managed to butcher at least one of our hymns, didn't we? Okay, yeah, a little tricky, but... Is the Lord hearing the songs of your soul, even if they come out of croaking lips and from tuneless tongues? Now, your tongue can be tuneless and your heart can sound like an angel singing. And that's what God desires. There are books, there are hymn books that you can buy. One of my, my favourite hymn books of all time is Spurgeon's, our own hymn book. The publishers recently made that available again. I'm currently using that in my private worship. It's lovely. It's great. Some of these are hymns that we've updated ourselves, we use from time to time. It's wonderful. There are other hymn books. Some of you might have good hymn books that you remember from your youth. Books that haven't been published for 20, 30, 40 years. Sing through them. Sing them again. Sing through the Psalms. But sing to God. Maybe you sing under your breath. Maybe you just sort of, it's closer to chanting than singing. You just don't trust yourself. Or maybe it's first thing in the morning and for some reason everything starts off down here. And it's just, but do you sing? Do you sing as a family? Do your voices blend together? Husbands and wives and parents and children, friends joining with you as you testify to the Lord God. Do we, do we come and sing as a congregation? To say, this is my opportunity to let from my heart sound out the praises of the God of my salvation. Now, David was a sweet singer in Israel under the influence of the Holy Spirit he wrote. Not many of us are going to pen original compositions, but we can enter into the things that others have written. We can make them our own. Those are my words. Those are my affections. Those are my delights. Those are my desires. I sing with the understanding, and in singing I am adding my amen to these words.
Do you praise him privately? It's relatively easy when prodded to praise. After all, if you're sitting in the congregation, it's time to sing. We, most of us will tend to sing. But do I praise him privately? Now, there are times when you wake at night and you're confused and you're distressed. Perhaps you're in pain. And your, your midnight hours, your dark seasons in the night are characterised by pleading. What about when you just wake up? Do you ever praise him? Do you ever cast your mind back upon the last day or the week? Or just review some of the, the blessings that you've received? And there in the peace and in the quiet of the night watches, you testify to God alone that he has been most merciful toward you. David praised God at times out of the wilderness when he felt utterly isolated. Those were some of the times when he praised God most sweetly in communion with him when there was no one else near at hand, either human comfort to help take the edge off some of his sorrows or human distraction to keep him from considering the favours of God. What about publicly? David testifies before all, come and hear and I will tell what he has done for my soul. As he is able, he teaches and instructs others. He sets a good example. Do you do that? After a week or a, or a month or even a few hours with you, would the younger saints in this congregation be saying, God is good, God is kind, God is merciful. That older brother, that older sister, they've suffered, they've struggled. Life is not now easy. But see how they honour God himself. It's a habit that overcomes the dullness that often drags us down. Praise tends to come less easily than complaint, does it not? What's, what flows out of us, that's the tale of all our woes. What sometimes needs to be stirred up in us, a testimony to God's goodness. Distraction. I wonder if we're more distracted from praise even than we are from pleading. And sometimes by the things that we might want to complain about. We might need to work hard and to concentrate. Listing out perhaps, numbering out the praises of God. Maybe it would be good for us to keep a journal. Or some kind of prayer diary. What has God done for me this week? When you pray as a family, do you go around perhaps with your children? What should we pray for? What should we pray for? What should we pray for? Maybe do it a different way. What should we praise for? What should we praise for? What's, or what sin shall we confess? What mercy shall we ask? What blessing shall we return thankfulness to God? This needs to be then a part of what we do as churches, as families and as individuals. You'll need to overcome ignorance. Because you probably think that most of this just happens. We need to think this through, don't we? Need to develop a consciousness and an awareness of these things. To learn to see the favour of God toward us. To view this world and our place and experience in it. Not as the world sees it. As, as a random sequence of unplanned and purposeless events. Do you believe in providence? Then you need to trace the finger of God in your life. Now you can overread providence. I, I sometimes hear people, you sort of think that they were, they were the centre of God's entire plan for the universe. 
everything they've done, the Lord did this with me, for me, through me and to me. I think that's a little bit overblown. But have you gone too far in the other direction? You know that God loves you, don't you? You know that God cares for you? You know that he's pleased to dispense kisses upon the cheeks of his beloved children? Is it wrong for you to look at things that come to pass and to say, that is his mercy, his kindness, his goodness? And you'll need to fight against pride. Because it is the tendency of the fallen heart to ascribe to ourselves glory and not to God. To, to, to think even somewhat naturally, I did that, I achieved that, I accomplished that. Rather than, even if you want to put it this way, God has enabled me. And God has blessed what he has enabled. Unbelievers don't praise God. They might talk about him. They might on some level acknowledge the supernatural reality. But there's no real relationship there. There's no calling upon the God in whom I trust. The God who has not put me to shame. No affection. The habit of praise is empty unless Jesus Christ has come first. I don't want you to learn a form of words. I don't want you to write out or find a list of prayers. Now you can read through something like the Banner of Truth's Valley of Vision. There's a beautiful section on praise in there. You can sound wonderful if you read that out. But it needs to come from a heart that knows and loves God in Christ Jesus. My friends, once we know Christ, once we know God and the life that is in him in Christ Jesus, that's where praise truly begins. The unbeliever cannot and will not praise God. And shamefully, believers might not. We forget. We get swamped. We get overwhelmed. Our distresses and our troubles, as real to us as David's were to him, can blind our eyes to these things. We can decline. We can fall out of a habit of thankfulness. We can neglect these particular songs, these praises, these opportunities. Until you come to Christ, you have a praiseless heart, and even your praising lips will be speaking cold words. But once in Christ, in God... Warm hearts, warm lips, light and heat for the honour of God and a sense of the abundant reasons for which we should praise him. Now you'll be horrified to know that that's the first point. You'll be glad to know that the second two are very brief in comparison. Praise established. The point being this, that this is David's holy habit, that this is the lifetime cultivated skill of a man who has learned to praise God for his divine glory and his divine grace in speech, in service and in song, privately and publicly, striving to overcome those things that would kill the song of praise. Now see hope continuing. David's in trouble. David's in deep distress. His enemies have surrounded him. Those first 11 verses, they've reached the point where they can look at his circumstances. What's the conclusion that they draw? God has given up on that man. God's dropped him like a rock. 
wants nothing more to do with him. God has forsaken him. Now's our chance. This is where we get in. This is where we take him down. Oh God, do not be far from me. Oh my God, make haste to help me. I will hope continually. What is it then that this man who has developed a holy habit of praise to the God whom he loves, what is it that holds him up and now moves him forward out of the depths of this distress? He hopes continually in the God of his salvation. God has not changed. God will not change. Although David's circumstances might have altered, although he himself has been brought very low, he hopes in God, a God who is perpetually praiseworthy. Nothing of the divine glory has altered at this point in David's experience. Nothing of divine grace has altered, either in its intent or in some of its expressions. Indeed, brothers and sisters, the sense seems to be that David expects God to manifest himself even more at this point than he might have done at other times. There are troubles. Yes, there are griefs. My friends, there are sins that we commit. There are sicknesses that burden us. There are difficulties that we face. There are distractions that we battle. There are persecutions that come. There are frustrations and disappointments that drag down our souls. But God is still God. And God is still your God and mine. And so in the darkest day, David says, I will hope continually. There is fixed reality here. He is clinging still to his God and nothing will prevent it. Do not cast me off, he cries, in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. Let my enemies oppress me. Let my circumstances distress me. Let my, my frailties come to the fore. They cannot in any way sever me from my God. They cannot for the least moment cut the covenant bond. I am his and he is mine forever. We speak it in new covenant reality. Christ is ours. We are Christ's. Once in him, in him forever. Thus the eternal covenant stands. We are secure. We are fixed. We are on the rock. We are safe in the eternal shelter. The wrath of God has been turned away. The promises of the Lord have been engaged toward us. His heart toward me has been revealed in Christ Jesus. It cannot and will not change. He has loved you, brother, sister, with an everlasting love. It is from eternity. It is to eternity. It is communicated to you in its beginnings, its continuings, and its endings in his beloved Son who is co-eternal with the Father, who has come to save, who has risen to bless, who is shepherding his flock. I will hope continually. I will set my hope against everything that might make me hopeless. I will hold to these truths when everything threatens to wash me away. I have been a praiser of God. I will hope continually 
and will praise you yet more and more. Now that's faith, is it not? There's praise progressing. I have been a praiser and not just we've said I'm going to start now, but I've been one and not even I hope to get back to it sometime. But oh God, hoping continually, I will praise you yet more and more. There's here a note of expectation that because God is God and my God, that I will have occasion and opportunity to increase my praise of him. Is that how you look at the future? I don't know what's coming. But I do know what God has said. And I anticipate that in days to come, perhaps through fire and storm, perhaps through flood, perhaps through trouble and distress, nevertheless it is my expectation that through my days and when my days on earth have ceased, that I will have occasion and opportunity to speak the praises of God more highly, more purely, more fervently, more earnestly than any time in my life up to this point. It's expectation and it's conviction. When the occasion comes, you shall find me a praising man. When the opportunity is given, then I will lift up my heart and voice to the God who has taken care of me every step of the way. I'll do it more and I'll do it better. As my life extends, the catalogue of God's mercies toward me, both in time and then my sense of their eternal value, those things are only going to increase. Brothers and sisters, if you've been in the way for a week, don't you know more than you did when you were a Christian for a day? And then a month later, haven't you got more to praise God than you did after a week? You might say, well, the salvation is the same. Oh, yes, it is, but you know it better. You're just peeling back the layers. It's like reading a book, isn't it? The further you go, wow, this is, I'm, I'm getting more. I'm, I'm understanding more. I'm exploring the subject. And after a year, haven't you seen more of God? Don't you know more of the care of Christ? Aren't you more conscious of the operations of the Holy Spirit? Do you think about where we stand as a church this day? You say, well, I've, I've only been here a few weeks. Haven't you seen the goodness of God? I've been here for decades. And what a story of grace you have to tell. How God has sustained and cared for us. You've seen God's people, some of them, they've stayed steadfast through the years. And they've lived and they've served and they've died as faithful warriors in the armies of the Lamb. Others have been sent out. They've gone on. They've worked hard in other places. Every one of your brothers and sisters here, a living, glowing testimony to the grace and goodness of God. Your experience has developed. You know more of God's truth. Praise God, yes, as I turn the pages of my Bible day by day. There are things that I'd not seen before, things that I'd not grasped before, and they spring out to me with a breadth and a beauty that I've never quite grasped. People sometimes come to me and say, have you seen this? Yeah. Not, not in the sense of I understand it the way you, but yeah, I, I know that's there. And it's like they've read it for the first time. And they really have. You know, they, they say, I've read this hundreds of times. This must be the 23rd time I, I've read through Malachi. But look what it says. You go, yeah, isn't it wonderful? Spirit of God opening our eyes to fresh beauties and new glories. 
It's like wandering through a treasury and you open a new door. Well, I, I knew this was my treasury, but I never knew that was behind the door. Don't you know more of his goodness? Haven't you tasted more of his mercy? Haven't you felt his forgiveness? My friends, you've uncovered sins recently that you either have only just begun committing or that you never even realised were sin. Oh, what forbearance God has shown with you. And you've brought, as it were, a lifetime of your folly and your foulness. And you've said, oh God, I've opened up a, a can of worms here. I've, I've found something and your word has exposed it. Oh Lord, have mercy. God has given mercy. And he's putting it all away. Have you seen his holiness? Have you sung hymns? You've caught a glimpse of the glory of God. You've heard sermons, perhaps here or elsewhere. And the man who speaks has faded away. And the God whose word this is has come to the forefront. The word has pierced your heart. And there's been something of a sense of the truth and the enduring glory of heaven as it touches upon earth. God's glory has been increasingly revealed to us. God's grace has been increasingly demonstrated toward us. Every time I breathe, every evening that draws a day to a close, every journey that I take, every return home that I make, every favour that I enjoy, every page that I turn, Every work that I do, every sermon that I hear, every hour of fellowship that I enjoy, every testimony of blessing that I hear, every word of thanksgiving that I offer, all of it is teaching me more and more and giving us more and more reasons to praise. Do you speak? Do you speak to one another? Have you talked to anybody else, another Christian, even today? Hear what the Lord has done for my soul. Might seem a little bit awkward at first, but make it a holy habit. Do you serve as a way of praising? Words may not be your thing. They should be in measure at least, but works might be. There are things that you can do, and the Lord might see them though no one else does. And they're done as to him, relying upon his strength, offered for his glory. And you put away that little voice that says, no one appreciates me, no one cares about this, no one helps me. No, God's given me a chance to do something for him. And I do it for his praise. Do you do it in your song? Have you sung today? Not just with the lips, but from the heart. Will you sing tomorrow and testify of how good and gracious God has been toward you. Do you do it privately? If you wait tonight, perhaps there'll be occasion for pleading. But I can guarantee now there'll be a reason for praising. Do you do it publicly? Do we do it among ourselves? It staggers some people. You think of someone like John Bunyan. John Bunyan was a, a very religious man at one stage in his experience, a great talker in religion, he said. Do you know what convinced him that he really needed a God who would know him and who would he who would know? He heard two old Christian women sitting on their doorsteps in Bedford talking to one another about the mercies of God. And he said, I don't know what they've got, but I know I haven't got it and I know that I want it. 
there a danger that someone would overhear you talking to your husband or your wife or your friend or your neighbour about the Lord's goodnesses and will say, whatever they have, that's what I want. Do you anticipate that as the years roll and the seasons pass, as the days and the weeks and the months and the years, if God spares you, should come, that though they may, and because we live in a fallen world, they will bring their trials and their griefs, their oppositions and their persecutions, that with those, and sometimes because of those, will come greater opportunity and occasion for the praise of God. It was out of the depths that David cried, Lord, I have been brought very low. Even my enemies think that you've given up on me, but I will hope continually. And even because of this, not just despite it, I will praise you yet more and more. When you deliver me from this one, O oh Lord, I will have a song that I've never sung before. I will be able to reach notes that I've never reached before. They'll be wrung out of me by the experience of deliverance. The scope and the sweep of my praise must increase while God is God to me. So will we do it? Those of us who are young, younger, are you making a holy habit of praise? Are you getting into the groove of speaking out, serving out, singing out the praises of your beloved God? Will you make this your resolution? Some of you, it will come with peculiar weight, will it not? I will hope continually. With the things that you face, the questions you have to ask, the difficulties that come, those will never be light words for you, will they? I will hope continually. God has got me and I will keep my grip upon my God and I will praise him yet more and more. He will not leave me. He will not forsake me. My enemies may gleefully imagine that this is my end. But God will always be my God and I will ever be his child. Is it your resolution then, both your conviction and your expectation, that you shall praise him more and better? My friends, this life, the opportunity is relatively limited and the occasions will come to an end. But in Christ, an eternity of praise beckons still. This is heaven's employment. It would be well if we began to train while upon earth. The more that we are taken up with God in Christ, being loved, loving in return, the more our speech, our service and our song could be and should be seasoned with the praises of our God. Not just now and again, more and more. Let us make it a holy habit. Let us advance in our praise of God.